We're going to be in verses 11 and 12. Um, but right before we get there, uh, I just had a small announcement for, uh, for Leah and I. Um, as lots of you have gotten to know and love her, uh, little left us on Friday um, to go be with her grandparents. And so uh, we're okay. It, it is the hardest thing we've ever had to do, but we're okay. Um, that's what foster care is about. And, uh, and after the holiday season, we'll open our home back up. But um, for those of you who did get to meet her and love her, I just wanted to, um, to ask that you would pray for her, um, that you would pray for God to save her. I want to see her again. And so I just pray. I see you would do that. First Peter chapter two, verse eleven. Beloved, I urge you, as sojourners and exiles, to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Let's pray. God, this is a, this is a text that, um, that can be very confusing, that can be kind of, uh, if, we, if we take it in wrong ways, God, it can be legalistic, it can be overwhelming, it can be um, just really hard, but I pray that you would open our minds, that you, would, that you would remove any distraction of our lives, any stress of our lives, that you would, uh, that you would fill this place with your Holy Spirit, that we may just dwell with you this morning that you would open up our hearts and our minds to your word, that you would change us, that you would show us where we can change, that you would show us our sin and, and how your word impacts that and, and changes our, our hard hearts, God. For me, as if I speak anything that is against you, that is against your word, I pray that you would help us to all forget it and I, I pray that you would just move me out of the way that you would show yourself mighty, that you would reign as king and as lord of our hearts this morning. For any of this to happen, God, we, uh, we know that it is a work that only you can do, but it is a work that you do. Would you show up this morning? Would you be with us this morning? And in that, God, we thank you and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you claim the name of Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ by faith and are now a citizen of heaven, if you are saved, this passage just explained to us that you have eyes on you. What are the people of the world seeing when they look at you? What actions do they see? I don't know about you, but before salvation, I did not like Christians. Like they were uh, the ones, like they couldn't go to any of the parties because, you know, Jesus, and you know, they listened to sometimes just really bad music. Um, but like at school, like they were very exclusive, they were very hypocritical, very judgmental toward me and my friends for listening to 50 Cent. And one girl, uh, one girl told me, she said, you'll never be good enough, you'll never be good enough to be a Christian like me. And I was like, oh. Um, and then another one straight up told me uh, to go to the, the bad place. We have kids in here, so... <laughs> 
she said, go to that place where it's hot. <clears throat> um, but people saw it. I saw it. It's been 11 years since I was told that, and I still remember it like it was yesterday. Believers, there are unbelievers watching you simply because you claim the name of Christ. And what our passage is telling us is that the stakes of what they see are eternal. They may glorify God as their Savior. This is what verse 12 says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, that means the unsaved, honorable, so that the purpose, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Gentiles, the unsaved people may see our good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What is the day of visitation? Acts 15, 14 says, um, it is when God first visited the Gentiles to take from them a people for his name. And Luke 1.68 says, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. The day of visitation from the Greek language is the day when God visits and redeems his people. So unbelievers will be eyewitnesses to our good deeds and honorable conduct, and because of what they have seen, they may glorify God because of it. They may not, and that will always be true. God still has to make unbelievers born again. Our good deeds do not save anyone, but our actions that unbelievers see, it can have eternal weight. This means that this is not some compartmentalized idea that we, in, that we as Christians, that we as believers can live as Christians around Christians and then in another way around non-Christians it's not like we can live missionally and evangelistically, like we go to be, like I'm gonna go to this event to be evangelistic. No, all the time. The question that we should ask of this text is not when should I, like when should my honorable conduct be, or when should my conduct be honorable, but how am I doing? It's not a abstaining from the passions of the flesh, like when do I do that, but a how am I doing this? There's no separation between our new identity in Christ and our new actions because they go together. So how do we do this? If our actions can have, if they may have eternal weight, eternal stakes, how do we do this? How do we orient our actions in such a way that when believers look at us, they may glorify God? From our text, we see two commands. The first is abstain from the passions of the flesh, and the second is keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Abstain from the passions of the flesh and keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. Let's look at the first one, verse 11. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles. And we're just gonna pause right there. The word urge, there's an urgency to Peter's message here. Why? Because of the eternal ramifications. There's no time to live in any other way especially for these that he's writing to. They're, they're kicked from their homes by the government and they're exiles living in foreign lands and everybody knows who they are. They, they know, okay, the Christians were just kicked out of Rome and so now all these people that are migrating in, they're Christians. But Peter never once mission, mentions to them like, hey, you should pity yourselves. He never says, feel bad about the situation that you're in. There is a purpose to their suffering. There's a purpose to the pain that they are in and it has nothing to do with them. 
God is bringing men and women into the kingdom by the light that he has given these men and women in their darkness. Yesterday, I went to get uh, the eggs from our chickens. I love our chickens. Um, But a neighbor stopped me, and uh, she wanted to give me a Christmas card, and then uh, she asked how our little girl was doing, and I had to explain, and I had to tell her the story. Um, and then she told me, she said, my husband and I have been watching you guys since y'all moved in. And, you know, we just wanted to say that, like, you guys have amazing hearts. And, and it was really cool. I didn't, like, pull a Jesus juke and be like, well, I don't have an amazing heart. It's really sinful. But I didn't do that. Um, I just said, thank you. But then she asked, like, straight up. She said, first she said, I could never do it. And then she said, uh, what made you guys want to start fostering in the first place? Because I know how hard it can be. And I got to explain the gospel to her that we've been shown such a great love, a sacrificial, real love from our adopted father. That we were helpless as orphans because of our sin and yet brought into the family by a gracious father. And so now we go into the really dark places. We go into the darkest places to shine the same light to others. Now, I don't, I don't know. I might not ever know until glory, until I have a perfect brain, But little girl, she may get to glorify God for eternity. And I don't know, I might not never know, but maybe our neighbor might get to glorify God for eternity. And I want to be honest with you, I don't say all of this to put myself or Leah on a pedestal. Um, Like, we didn't do any of this stuff perfectly. Um, And I'm not saying that it was easy. It was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. But Leah and I trusted God in the darkness to go into these hard places, to have our hearts broken over and over and over again that some may see. That some may see the light of Christ. Because of eternity, there is an urgency to be this light. Beloved, I urge you... Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh. The word for abstain is actually a sailing term. Peter's a fisherman, so he uses a lot of these. Um, But it was used elsewhere in Greek history to say, stay away from the reefs, or you will will hit them and you will sink and you will die. So that's the word abstain. It's It's a shipping or a sailing term. Literally, hold anchor so that you live. What are the destructive reefs for Christians? It says it in the rest of the verse, passions of the flesh. To understand this in context, go back up to verse 9. But you were a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. That you, so we were made new, we were created new, we exist in newness of life for the purpose of that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Passions of the flesh are any part, any evil part of the old self that we have died to in Christ. The passions of the flesh are anything that darken and dim the marvelous light of Jesus Christ. The passions of the flesh make everything else look brighter and more wonderful than God. This could be any number of things, but I think um, our culture specifically struggles with a few of these. Gluttony, sexual immorality, comfort, pride, greed, selfishness, racism, I don't know if you guys know any of the history of Forney, but it is extremely divisive based on social status, based on money, based on color of skin and and power. And in a lot of ways, 
Like it's still this way because all of us want comfort. We want power. We want to not have to worry about this paycheck or the next one. We want to have to be satisfied or we want to be satisfied in our stomachs and elsewhere. But what happens happens subtly and softly and we barely even see it happen. These things become our gods. How do we know? Because the rest of the verse says that these passions of the flesh are waging war against our souls to become gods to us. We wrestle with things like what life could be like if we had that much money or if we had that position or if we were this popular or if we had that person to marry, but it's subtle. It isn't a war that we see. All of these things don't come at us like cannons and we can see the things coming, but it's like a sweeter than Jesus mirage telling us that if we gratify these passions, we will have all we ever need. Our fleshly passions don't come at us all scary-like, but in a deceiving light. We are on choppy waters and a storm is rising and the enemy is on the shores of sin telling us that it's safer to come ashore. But the truth of sin is that we are so disillusioned with the shore that we shipwreck on the reef. What it promises, that the safety of the shore never comes. All of the passions of the flesh are at war against our soul to overcome it and to become its God. This is why we abstain. This is why we hold anchor out in the waves and the wind and the storm. God has us. It is far better to be in the midst of a storm holding tight onto the anchor line than safe on the shore in sin. Hold anchor. Abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Why? Because this is an aspect of our lives that unbelievers are watching. As sojourners and exiles in this foreign land, as ambassadors of the kingdom of heaven, people can see things getting choppy. Like whoever says that Christianity, you become a Christian and things get better, I don't know, how do you come to that conclusion? I don't understand that at all. Things get a lot worse. Things get harder. You will suffer. If, you, if we read the Bible, it's like, no, you're gonna suffer. You're gonna suffer. You're gonna suffer. But people can see when these things get choppy. And it's easy to say that we are followers. It's easy to say that we believe in Jesus. But when it comes time to stand firm in the grace of God in the midst of trials, it's way harder. And people are watching. And Peter, he knows this directly. After um, Jesus is taken to go be crucified, the man denied knowing Jesus three times because he was afraid to die. The passions of the flesh within him told him to come ashore because his life was more precious than dying in the storm. We deny knowing Jesus when we give in to the passions of the flesh. Is this you? Do you view your sin as going against the very purpose of your existence? Second thing, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. If you look at verse 12, keep your conduct, which is keep your actions, everything that you conduct your lives with. Keep your actions among the unbelievers of the world, the Gentiles, honorable, which is also a Greek sailing term. And it's the coolest word. It, it, it literally means 
a beautiful wind from heaven when the boat is going nowhere. It's a sailing time. Like, the wind coming in. Everything from going to the store around Christmas time and waiting in crazy lines with crazy people to the, to the way we treat the waitress. We've had three different times already. The way we enjoy ourselves. Everything. Our conduct is to be as beautiful as a wind that fills the sails. I was not a believer until the summer after I graduated high school. Uh, my senior year, I, if you know me, you know this, but I tried to fight a kid who didn't want to fight me, uh, and so I slashed his tires. Naturally, that's how you get there. Um, I got caught. I was put in handcuffs outside of a church, which was nice because at least they wouldn't judge me, right? Um, and I was banned from senior prom, barely got to graduate. I walk across the stage to booze. Um, I lost all my friends. I tanked. Like my whole life. I, I lost everything that I thought I knew, that, that I thought I wanted. So I, I partied. I drank. I did all kinds of things to try to fill this void I felt in my life. But nothing was working. And then by the grace of God and the kindness of other believers, uh, this kid that I just mentioned ended up on a mission trip um, to Los Angeles. And all of these people that I'm with, like the, the grown-ups, I was 19, 18, the grown-ups and the, the other kids, like they all knew my story. They knew where I was in my life. They could smell all the smoke on my clothes. But they wanted to be my friend. They asked me about my life. They were kind and honorable. I watched the way that they would treat the people as we would walk down the street. I watched as they would, their heart, would, they, they would pray for these people. I felt the way they treated me. I saw as they would go, like on their own, nobody told them to go. They would go and read their Bibles and they would pray to their God and it looked to me like they had something. Maybe I had gone home in unbelief and nothing had changed, but I didn't. the time spent watching them. And then when I get home, I'm, I'm still, I don't think a believer, uh, but when I get home, I get to watch others like Patrick Lawson and other people who befriending me even though I am the worst person. And it absolutely changed my life. Because in their good deeds and honorable conduct, I saw their God. they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day when he visits them. Believer, this life that you live is not your own. Your comforts, your desires, yourself, it is bigger than all of those things. If you claim the name of Christ, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ by faith and are now a citizen of heaven, if you are saved, this passage just explained to us that you have eyes on you. What are the people of the world seeing when they look at you? What actions do they see? Do you act as though you have been redeemed from your sin to newness of life? Now, if you're anything like me, you stare at this passage and want to weep. I know for a fact that unbelievers have seen some horrible acts from me. Some of them, yes, before I was saved, before I knew anything as I was ignorant. I, not too long ago, I ran into a girl from high school and came up that I was a pastor, and she laughed at me. <laughs> kind of makes sense, but, um, but even after salvation, like I haven't been perfect. None of us in the room are perfect. What hope do we have? 
What hope do we have if it's up to us? But notice in the passage, who will they see or not see? Who will they not glorify or glorify? They may see and glorify God. This life is about God. This is why this life is not our own. This is why this life is bigger than you and I. Ultimately, they will see God in what, it, in what God is doing in you. And this is exactly why we go and do the hardest things in the world, like forgiving others, like loving others, moving our lives to go live in an unreached and unengaged people group, to live with them as missionaries. This is why we adopt and foster children. This is why we care for the widows and the orphans. This is why we care for the brokenhearted. This is why we go to the hospital with our friend. This is why we regard other men and women as more significant than ourselves. This is why we pay for the washer of another believer when we can barely afford one ourselves. It is a joy to obey the hard commands of God when we see them as deeds that may cause others to glorify God. Romans 14, 8 says, For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. What we exist for is that we are the Lord's. And that others become the Lord's. The great commandment in Scripture is to love the Lord our God with all of our strength and might, with all we are, and to love others as ourselves. This is the call of our passage. And this is what any genuine love is anyway. It is Jesus on the cross giving up his life, becoming vulnerable in order to be killed for our sake. And in the same way, this is our heart in love. It's a here is my heart. Do with it whatever you want. I'm loving you. You can crucify me. impossible without the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason we are centered on the gospel here at Mission is because the only way you and I will ever love anyone in this way is if we are first being loved by God, by Jesus in this way. In our sin, it's not that we are going to shipwreck, it's that we're shipwrecked and dead but God has redeemed sinners to himself by taking on the sins of those who would believe Jesus became shipwrecked and dead on our behalf to bring us to new life with a purpose, to hold anchor and shine the light of Christ as our anchor. And now we have this in Matthew 5, 16 from the mouth of Jesus. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. How is it ultimately that we shine this light? How do we do this? How can we do this? We believe in the light. John 8, 12 says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. And just think about it. For believers, 
we will one day be in the presence of Jesus, our light, and we will be praising and singing, and we will be perfect and whole and complete, and we will lack for nothing, and all of the storms of our lives will be nothing anymore. It'll be nothing but still waters, and we will be glorifying and worshiping God. We will be at his, in his presence, worshiping him to his face, and we're going to look next to each other and see you and see me. We're going to be together and then we're going to see those who lit up our lives. And then we're going to see those who we lit up their lives. This life is bigger than you and me. It is about the glory of God. And God is glorified when Christ is believed and light is shown. Because ultimately, it's not about you and I. It's not about how good we can do this or how bad we do this. It is about the light of Christ in us. Nobody, when they get to heaven, is going to say, man, glorifying Jake. No, thankfully, that will never happen. We will be glorifying God. All this because God brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light by the light of Jesus Christ. At the cross, we see the most bright and beautiful and marvelous light. Jesus took our sins onto himself and was beaten and killed, and his blood was spilled to cover these sins forever. Our lack of these good deeds, Jesus covered them. And we stand before the Father, and we have a safe covering in the blood and body of Jesus Christ, the perfection that was broken and spilled for us. We have eternal life now in this perfection. The good deeds that are, that, that are necessary for other people to, to see and to, to, they may glorify God. That's only true because of the perfection of Jesus on us. This is why we take communion every Sunday. To remind us of this body and this blood that covers us. That we may live as a light that others may give glory to our Father. They might not. That will always be true. But they might. It is glorifying to God to remember God's most glorious act. So as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, if you've believed in the light of the world as your Savior, then you're welcome to the table. If you're an unbeliever, or if you are in unrepentant sin, I ask that you would remain in your seat. 1 Corinthians says that you would be eating and drinking in an unworthy manner because this Christ is not yours yet. If you're in unrepentant sin, turn from your sin again today. Turn from darkness to light again today. There is a new mercy waiting for you this morning. If you're an unbeliever, as it sits right now, you know what it's like to be in utter darkness. It does not have to be this way. If you see no good deeds of anyone in this room, see the good deed of Jesus on the cross on your behalf. Believe in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross for your sins. Turn from those sins, forsake those sins, and live in the light of Jesus Christ in the gospel. If you're in the room and man, you think you're a believer, but you're not sure, you're scared because it's, it's really hard. Abstaining from sin, that's hard. Conducting ourselves in any sort of honorable way, that's hard. But be encouraged. 
The fact that you feel that is evidence of the Holy Spirit within you to bring you to repentance, to bring you down deeper into faith. Believe in the gospel again today. For all of us, here is our prayer. It'll be up on the screen. Father, we admit that we do not abstain from our sin and that we do not conduct ourselves in an honorable way before unbelievers. Would you, by your grace, help us to find our hope in you that we may shine the light of this hope to others. In Jesus' name, amen.